Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Food bloggers, hey, I want you to know that I myself am a food blogger, so I understand the need to find those connections and find the answers and create transformations in my business that are actually going to matter and help me grow and make more money and get more traffic and all of those good things. If you are interested in this too, the new eBlog Talk Mastermind Groups might be a great fit for you. Go to eblogtalk.com to find the application that you can fill out for consideration. As Napoleon Hill, the author of Think and Grow Rich says about the mastermind principle, two or more people actively engaged in the pursuit of a definite purpose with a positive mental attitude constitute an unbeatable force. Unbeatable force. I love that. And you can't argue with that. Inside the eBlog Talk Mastermind Groups, weekly Zoom calls will have the format of peer-to-peer learning with members taking turns being in the hot seat. Once a month, guest experts join us and they will unleash their knowledge about very specific topics relating to food blogging and being a small business owner and relating to ways that you can grow your business. We convene every week, we share our struggles, our wins, and we can shine and lift each other up and provide resources and input that will help the other members in the group to grow their businesses and grow as individuals as well. Again, go to eblogtalk.com to fill out an application for consideration. Hello, awesome people. I am here today to share with you this episode, which is actually a recorded clubhouse conversation from July 30th, 2021. In the conversation with me is Jason Logston from Amazing Food Made Easy and Making Bacon, Chelsea Cole from A Duck's Oven, Taryn Soli from Hot Pan Kitchen, and Janine from Cook, Pray, Slay. And we have a great discussion about a bunch of different things relating to food blogging. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and please join us on Clubhouse in the coming weeks. We meet every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So enjoy the conversation. Thanks for being here. Jason, what's up today? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Hey, let me know if my sound cuts in. I feel like my connection is bad, but if I'm cutting in and out, please let me know. Sounds good so far. All right. So what are you up to this weekend, you and your wife? No idea. We have, I guess we have volleyball on Sunday and then, uh, Going out to dinner with some friends tomorrow, so nothing too exciting, but always good to get out. Isn't it lovely to have options this summer? Every time I see that something's open, I'm like, oh my gosh, remember last summer when we couldn't do anything? It's so lovely. It's much more relaxing this summer so far, at least, so that's a very good thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, we... Well, hopefully get some more people coming in. Hi, Julie. Hi, Emily. Hi, Teresa. So glad you're here. Taryn. Hey, Jesse. So glad you guys are coming in. Um, so, Jason, I guess we can both do just really quick intros. And then Chelsea, I think, is joining us as well. But I'm Megan Porta. I am the podcast host at Eat Blog Talk. And it is a podcast for food bloggers and a community for food bloggers 
to help them grow their businesses. Um, and I'm also a food blogger as well. So Jason, we would love to hear from you. What is your quick little intro? So I'm Jason Logston. I've run Amazing Food Made Easy, which is a mainly sous vide blog. It's all about helping home cooks and professional chefs understand how sous vide works so they can kind of discover the magic of how easy it can make your home cooking um, and stress-free, which is one of the things that I love most about it. And I also run uh, Make and Bacon, which is all about helping food bloggers uh, get the most out of their blogs and kind of move their their businesses forward to get off the ad network um, treadmill. And I have a podcast, uh, Make that uh, make and Bacon, um, that's uh, related to that as well. Okay, so we were talking about podcasts with Bob Clark. And Jason, I guess I didn't realize that you, so you have a podcast also for your sous vide side? Or what do you do with that? Uh, yeah, I do a, so the, the make and bacon ones all for food bloggers. And then I host, um, exploring sous vide, which is kind of a hybrid, um, model. We record, we have a really big, um, Facebook, uh, audience there and, uh, for amazing food made easy. So we do a lot of, um, live content on Facebook. So I actually interview people, um, live on video and we take the audio from that and release it as a podcast. So it's a, a good way to kind of get video content, a podcast, and then also we can do use transcriptions to, you know, create uh, good content on the website as well. So those of you that listen to me a lot know that I am a big fan of reusing content. So that's one model that works really well for me to kind of get uh, a lot of content out there with only having to do one thing. Do you follow Gary V, Jason? Gary Vaynerchuk? I have read a, a few of his books and uh, listened to his stuff occasionally. I haven't lately, but uh, definitely uh, learned a lot from him over the years. I feel like he's the master of that, just taking one thing, like he'll record, I don't know, a presentation he gives, for example, and then he'll take pieces of that and reuse it like to every degree you can imagine. So I feel like that is kind of what you do as well. You just like try to maximize your content and that's really smart. I think it's a great way for people to really create a lot more content. You know, people ask me, like, how did you have time to do a book and a podcast and a video course and, you know, several hundred recipes and guides? And the answer is I reuse a ton of content and I try to plan out my content when I can. I'm very bad at planning. So I know there's a lot of people great at, you know, content planning out there. I am not one of them, but I do try to keep that in mind that if I'm working on a course, like what parts of that can I use as blog posts that can also, you know, market the course for me. If I'm doing a, a presentation, what parts of that can I pull out? And I use a um, application called Descript, which does transcriptions and makes it like super easy to pull out all the text from any of my podcasts or any of my uh, presentations. And I can use that as blog posts. And it just makes everything really easy to create multiple pieces of content from one amount of effort. And that's the easiest way to be not everywhere, but more places is to just reuse what you have. And you take the bits that maybe don't work, like you take your little blooper reels and you post those, which is total entertainment, right? <laughs> and like lessons that we can be ourselves and not have to be perfect all the time. I personally love when people post little bloopers that they've done on video or wherever. So everything is reusable is the um, principle there. And what I like to suggest is like, 
you know, Megan and I, you talk about, we both talk about this, about like know where you're going and like what are your overall goals? What are you trying to be best at? And to me, that's, that's what you should create first. You know, that's, you should be making sure that that is as good as it can be or needs to be. Uh, but everything else that you reuse doesn't have to be at that level. Like if you're not overly concerned about YouTube, that's not your thing, but you know that there's people that watch videos and it's good to have it, but you don't want to be a YouTube star, then don't stress out about the video aspects. You know, make sure that the that the text that's coming out of it is as high quality as possible. Like make sure you're maximizing the thing you really want to dominate and then everything else can be just good enough to get it out there. And it's a lot better to have, you know, decent videos on YouTube than no videos at all. Very well said as always. Thank you for that. So it looks like we have a small room today, which is awesome. It's Friday. Hopefully everybody's out enjoying their day, but we would just welcome you guys to come up. Let's just have a conversation about what's going on this week. If you guys have specific struggles you would like to talk through, um, we had a mastermind call for eBlog Talk last night, and we had some conversations about email marketing. Taryn, what else did we talk about? Um, I felt like it was just really, there's so much going on, even though it's summer, and you think of summer as being a lull kind of in food blogging. There really is like always stuff to talk about. So if there's anything on your mind that you want to run by us or just have a conversation about, please come up. Oh, I know what else we were talking about. Um, I will start with this while you guys are considering coming up. Tracking. So tracking stats and analytics, the importance of it. Do you do it, Jason? Um, if you do, how often and what exactly do you track if you do? I am really good at tracking a lot of different pieces of data, and then I'm really horrible at going back and actually looking at any of the information that I have been tracking. So it's, I don't get much out of it uh, most of the time. But I, um, it's something that I've you know grown my blog to you know 200,000 uh, monthly visitors, and you know put out cookbooks and um, had my income above six figures at one point, and I've been horrible at tracking this entire time. I. You try to use it for like very big generalities. Like, is my traffic increasing, you know, month to month or every three months? Like, looking at things like that that are kind of overall trends. I don't look at daily stats in anything. It's just, I, I try to sit down and say, this is where I'm trying to go. And then I figure out what I think is going to be the best way to get there. And for the next one to three months, I try to implement that. And then afterwards, I can look back and say like, okay, was this strategy as successful as it could have been? And the answer is normally no. Like I could make tweaks, I could improve, you can always be improving, but that's when I try to kind of look at those overall stats when I'm redeciding what to do or what was effective. I don't use it to track, you know, was this specific social media post successful? Did people like this recipe? It's just, there's too much randomness out there that I found myself getting down when stats were down through no no actual reason that had anything to do with me. And so that was frustrating for me. So I try to focus on those bigger trends. I feel like you could really get obsessed with this. I used to do this when I was first blogging. Like I think it was the top of the month. Every month I would sit down and I would track all of my stuff and I had like this spreadsheet but then I would just lose myself in it and I didn't really even know what exactly I was like, kind of like what you said, Jason, like you're good at tracking, but then you're like, well, what the heck do I do with this? 
So I felt like that was me. And then I finally just decided to stop. Um, and now I do it kind of sporadically. So there's got to be a balance like tracking and then like efficiently <laughs> monitoring it. I liked your idea of like every three months. I think that's so smart instead of like every month digging in and figuring out what I have to do with this. Um, Janine, hi, how are you today? Do you have anything to contribute with tracking or something else? What's going on today? Hi, hi everyone. Um, so as far as the tracking goes, I was actually going to talk about something else. I'll get to that. But um, as far as the tracking, I try to do like, okay, so I, I kind of carve out time once a month to look at my analytics, but I kind of suffer from what Jason suffers from where, you know, I, I look at it and I'm, I'm a marketing person. Like that's what I do. And so analytics and insights to me is I'm, I'm very in tune with that, but my issue or my challenge is taking that information and then having to either like adjust strategy or pivot or whatever it is like, I get the information and then it's just like, I get so busy because, you know, like everyone else, I'm curating content and I'm running a blog and I'm putting out posts and I'm doing everything else. So that's, I struggle with that big time. Yeah, I think this is a common struggle. I see this in so many food. Well, there's, first of all, there's so many things to track. So what do we track and like, what is going to matter and then, like, what do we do with this information? This is kind of where, where we came to in our mastermind group. Like, okay, we should be tracking X, Y, Z, but then what? What do we do with that? It's just like a number sitting out there in the universe. Like, what do we actually do with it, you know? That is so true. That's so true. That's why having, um, you know, like, and look, I say this stuff and I you know, I, I'm bad at following if I like, I can give advice to like the cows. Come home. Like I, that's what I do. <laughs> I have a problem taking my own advice, but you know, what really helps. And, you know, like I said, I work in, in marketing. And so I do a lot of consulting work, um, and helping other small businesses. And I always say you have to have a plan. Cause that's, that's like, that's the blueprint for your business. And so if you're just haphazardly looking at your data and you don't really have a plan for it, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. So you just kind of have to figure out, okay, what, what's the goal? Like, do we want to um, increase our monthly subscribers? Do we just want that traffic coming in so we can start monetizing? Do we want to gain awareness? Like you just going to have to figure out. And I always say like, you know, um, narrow down those goals into one or two attainable goals as opposed to just having like all of these goals and you don't know where to start. Right. Okay. First of all, I was dying laughing with the, I can give advice, but not, (laughs) not actually follow it. Yes. It's so easy to do. Right. Um, But yeah, that just got what you were saying, Janine, got me thinking about like, it's not one size fits all. So you can't tell a food blogger to go track your Instagram followers. If if that is not a goal of yours, if gaining followers is on Instagram is 0% a goal, then there's probably no point in doing that. So I love that just sitting down and seeing it more as a customized thing for each individual food blogger and then and then making goals based on that. So it's you can't deliver like one set of 
expectations for all food bloggers is kind of what you were saying, which I love. It's also super important to remember that like all data is not like the same. Like if you want to increase page views on your, your blog, like run Facebook ads that say like win a free pickup truck, right? Like people click through to win a pickup truck, but that traffic's useless to you, especially if you're trying to sell cooking classes or a book, like that traffic doesn't do anything for you. So if you're tracking a number like that, it might not even matter what you're getting. It's more important to have, you know, maybe people sign up on your mailing list and it doesn't matter how much traffic you have at all, but it's those conversions to your mailing list. It might be actual sales that matters to you. And so it's better to have 10 people that like trust you and came from one place that are going to purchase from you than, you know, 10,000 random people that aren't going to, you know, drop 20 or $40 on a course the first time they meet you. So it's important to know what some of these numbers are and that, you know, 10,000 page views, those are real people and they have different values beyond just a single number. Oh, I love this. What a great conversation. Chelsea, welcome. Hope you're doing good today. How's it going? I'm so sorry I'm late. I'm not going to lie. I got distracted because I spontaneously decided to clean my shower. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Hey, no worries. We were just talking about tracking and stats and analytics and it got really fun, but welcome. And then Janine, you did say that you wanted to come up and talk about something else. So go feel free to put that out there. Yeah, sure. Um, I just kind of wanted to share with the group. um, And I'm sure some of you have already done this, but it's starting to work for me a little bit. Um, I think I mentioned last week when I was, um, I joined the group, I mentioned that I've got a lot going on. So I've got a whole full-time job and then I run the blog and then I've got a couple of other businesses that I'm doing. And, um, one thing that I'm always struggling with, like a lot of other folks is just, um, you know, like having that time to, um, dedicate to curating that content, um, balancing everything. And so what's worked for me is I've, actually pitched um some ideas like editorial ideas to local um magazines and so like I'm in the Tampa Bay area so we've got um Tampa Bay Parenting uh, magazine which is a really nice magazine they've got huge readership and so I did like for instance like for the month of September I think it's the September issue I did um you know three quick and simple Um, meal ideas for families on the go, knowing that, you know, back to school is coming up and no, actually this was the August issue. So back to school time is coming up after school activities are going to be picking back up. So I just put out, um, just some meal ideas and I submitted my pictures and I wrote like a quick write up. And from that point on, you know, I said, Hey, you know, I'm available to, you know, offer additional content for you guys moving forward, like every month. And so I kind of just laid out some of my ideas, just, you know, kind of thinking, okay, you know, we've got the holidays coming up. And then of course it's new year stuff. So I kind of just put some ideas together and they just, they loved it. Like, they're like, okay, we want to work with you. (laughs) So it's, for me, it, it helped as far as helping me kind of leverage, you know, I can kind of batch create that content knowing that, okay, it's going to go in the magazine, but then I can also repurpose a lot of what I do and just kind of breaking, break, breaking 
it up into smaller chunks um, just to kind of help leverage and, you know, uh, work smarter, you know. Um, so I just wanted to share that with the group that is just another idea um, that people just can kind of jump on. It's worked for me. And like I said, just that time and I don't have a lot of time to strategize. And so, you know, just kind of having that deadline of, okay, like this is, this is the concept they're doing. I'll just take that concept and just break it up into smaller bite-sized pieces and just push it out on my channels that way. So it's so far so good. Just wanted to share that. Nice work. I think that we, a lot of us discount that avenue, the whole like magazine thing. So I'm curious, did you pitch, it sounds like you pitched a handful of ideas at once or how did you do that? So I pitched the, I pitched like one idea initially and I liked working with this this particular magazine and it ended up being like a paid gig. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but I didn't intend on it because I was really looking more so for the visibility Um, so when she's like, oh yeah, we pay per page, you know, write up, you know, like a hundred bucks or whatever. I'm like, that's a plus. Um, so when I did that first process with them, I actually did one over the summer and I liked the process. They were really easy to work with. Um, when I did the back to school thing, I said, Hey, I've got like a handful of other ideas if these are, if these ideas, if these ideas are, you know, like you guys are interested in it, I'd be more than happy to put that content together for you for the next three months, you know? So like September, October, you know, November, I've got this content already. Like I don't have it curated yet, but you know, I know in my mind, okay, this is the type of content I'm putting out for that magazine. And so this is what I'm going to do with this content on my platforms as well. And so when I did have this agreement with them, I did make sure that, you know, hey, this is my content that I'm curating for you guys. So just know that I'll be pushing this out on my own channels or I might repurpose it for another blog. Um, and they're they're totally fine with that. So when it's basically like a byline that I get in their magazine. So the article is written by me and they do direct people to go to my IG. Um, and that's basically it. So it's almost kind of like a contractor situation. You know, they're paying me to produce this content for them, but I, in essence, still own it because it's my content that I created. Um, so did that answer your question? Yeah, I love that. I, again, like, I don't think that a lot of us think about that, but how easy was it for you to get in touch with somebody at the magazine? So I just reached out to the editor of the magazine, um, and it really depends. um, It depends on that particular magazine. So because I have a marketing PR background, I'm a little bit more savvy to that. So I kind of know what to look for. Um, But typically, if you reach out to the editor of the magazine, um, a managing editor, that would be a really, really good start. Okay, sorry, I was writing that down. That's awesome. Um, Jason or Chelsea, have you guys ever written for magazines or done anything similar? Just curious. 
I have not, but I've I had a really good conversation on my podcast with uh, Tiffany Urich, who does a lot of public relations. Chelsea actually introduced me to her, um, and she talks about like that's a great way to kind of expand your brand. Like you should definitely be putting you know on your own website now, you know, as seen in and the name of the magazine. Like if you start racking up some of these editorial um, articles out there, like make sure that your fans know and. When these people kind of randomly come in, you know, through SEO on your website, and they see in your sidebar that you've written for all these established traditional publications, it'll go a long way towards giving you a lot of credibility that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, I um, exactly what Jason said. I've had the opportunity to be featured in a magazine once, and it was incredible. And like, it's just really fun to get to see your photos and stuff in print. And then my second cookbook is coming out in a few weeks, God willing. And I am trying to get, this is different than like doing contracted work for the magazine, but I'm trying to get features. And honestly, I'd love to find a way for that to spin into an ongoing relationship where I can be some kind of contributor or do hired work for them or something like that. Especially for like, I'm not sure if this is the case in other places, but Oregon has a lot of great local magazines. Um, One being 1850, that's the year Oregon was established um and I'm trying to kind of build relationships with them first through my cookbook and then see if that can be spun into something else cool I love this topic thank you so much Janine for just bringing this up and yeah just a new avenue for us to explore if not for monetizing I mean it sounds like you got a little bit but if nothing else, just for like what you said the visibility and they're linking to your Instagram account So you just never know what could come from it. So thank you so much for mentioning that. Um, Chelsea, I want to hear what you're up to this summer. So your cookbook is coming out soon. When is that? And what else have you been working on? Yes. So the goal is August 17th. (laughs) We will see if the cookbook is done by then. And honestly, it's been mm, 85% cookbook and the rest freelance work. Um, It's funny. I, you know, have self-published a cookbook before, but the second cookbook is just like a little, there's a little more to it. It's like a slightly different concept. The concept of it is mix and match. Um, So it's sous vide cooking. Jason and I are both super into sous vide and um, you can like mix different sauces, marinades, et cetera, with different proteins. Um, And I give instructions for how to sous vide those proteins anyways. And it's been a lot. I mean, self-publishing a cookbook is just a lot of work because you are literally doing everything. Um, but it's also super fun. I'm loving the whole process. This week is photography week. Um, and then I've been lucky enough to like be getting a lot of consistent freelance work. I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, freelance work is great and sponsored work is great. Freelance work feels like it's my bread and butter. Um, and I've got some great relationships with a few clients who just need constant ongoing work from me, which is awesome. Um, a lot of video work, which is great. And so that's kind of been like my head down focus this summer. Um, and it's been, it's been super, super busy, but good. I'm trying to also have fun. (laughs) My husband is a teacher, which means he has the summer off. So just trying to battle. We've, we've got, we've done three camping trips, have another one to go. We went to New York City, going to Austin, you know, lots of, so it's a lot of a play hard, work hard this summer. (laughs) I love the concept of doing like um, uh, consultant, consulting work and stuff like that. I think it's something that a lot of bloggers don't take advantage of, like their skills that they already have and doing them for businesses. Can you talk a little bit about more about the type of work that you're doing just so people can get a feel for like what is available out there for bloggers? 
Absolutely. So these companies, um, one of them, I've worked with them for a couple of years now and they're great. So the way we kind of work together, they work with um, a PR company who says, hey, these are the things that we want you to focus on this quarter in general for like their whole brand. And then they translate that down to me and say, hey, this is our focus for the quarter. We need you to develop recipes that focus on this. And so I one, develop the recipes for them. Um, sometimes I don't. Sometimes they just need assets for already developed recipes, and I help them with that too. But I develop the recipes, shoot the recipes, and do videography for the recipes. And then I also do like teasers for social media with those videos and things like that. So just like spin that, spin, which is this, you know, this is what we should all be doing with our own content, which is easier said than done. It's a lot easier when, you know, somebody's paying you to do it. But um, they really have me make sure that each piece of content I develop for them gets used um, over and over and over again and I'll suggest that too I'll say and I'll say things like hey this could be a reel um you know for this fee I can also add a reel to this package for you so we do several packages each quarter and then um one thing I'm doing too I'm starting to do which this honestly freaks me out and um <laughs> I just kind of need to get over it I'm starting to do more more commercial work um less which is like less lifestyle-y and what I mean by that and luckily my marketing background is coming in handy because I've been the person who's requesting these images before. So I kind of know, or I do know what they're looking for, but I'm doing more like um, product photography. So I just started working with an indoor farm in Vancouver, Washington, which is super cool. Um, and so they are developing new um, lines of greens and they need product photography for their website. So I'm starting to shoot that for them. In addition to also for them, recipe development, lifestyle photography, photos of those recipes, all that stuff. I love hearing you talk through that, Chelsea. That is a world that I'm, I've definitely never dabbled in. Um, Jason, do you do much of that or have you ever dabbled in that? Just doing freelance contract work? I hit the wrong button there. <laughs> Suddenly I was in a different place. Um, yes, I did um, a lot of content development. So I've done... Um, recipe guides, the old um, Gourmia uh, sous vide machine, when it got shipped, it had a, a getting started uh, cookbook, I guess. There was like 15, 20 pages, and it was all my recipes and photography, so they hired me to do that. Um, I worked with them on their iPhone app, like providing my sous vide expertise about coming up with what time and temperatures should the app that controls their, their unit do. Um, I've worked with other places that um, like sell meat and they want to bring in people that sous vide that then, you know, buy their, their meat. <laughs> and so I wrote some, you know, this is how you sous vide this type of cut um, for the major cuts that they sell. Um, so I've done some work like that, mainly on that, the content uh, development side. And it's a great way to um, make some money and also, you know, get your name out there in some new places that uh, a lot of other people aren't. There's, it's nice to get paid for, uh, for work that you're doing. And I will say that that's one thing to keep in mind and why I always say, like, know what you're trying to accomplish with your blog. Because if that's the type of things that you really like to do, like, you can make a full-time living just doing consulting work. But if you're doing that, then your blog... You shouldn't be as concerned about the numbers on your blog. You should be more concerned about making sure that it is almost like a portfolio of the type of stuff that you do. That if you can reach out to a brand or a company and say, I know that you are doing this, 
my expertise can be helpful for you and help you make money. Here's some examples of what I do. And when they poke around your website, they're not going to see random things that we kind of leave on our blogs when we're just interested in SEO traffic. So it's just something to keep in mind as you're trying to make money, figure out what that is. And then that's the type of content you should be putting on your blog that's going to be reinforcing how you really want to make money in the long term. I just wanted to piggyback off of that because that is such a good point. Having your blog and or Instagram kind of be a portfolio for what you're capable of. For example, um, if you follow me on Instagram, you know I am not afraid of color. I really, really like to play with color in my photography. And uh, the the indoor farm that reached out to me, they reached out to me because... Um, because my stuff is so colorful and I'm, and they want to create more colorful assets for their brand. So they were looking for somebody who's not afraid to play with color. Um, so just, yeah, it's, it's all a great portfolio, um, for what you can do for brands. Oh, I love that Chelsea. Um, you mentioned earlier about working with a PR firm. Can you talk about how that works? Like, how did you find them? Um, like, do they take, I'm sure they take a percentage and then do you just find it easier than trying to find clients on your own? So sorry, that was confusing. The company I work with actually works with this PR firm. However, they, um, I got hooked up with, um, this company that I've been doing work for for years because I did work for one of their other clients and then they recommended me to another one of their clients. So it's actually really helpful to have those connections with a PR company. And so sometimes I'll reach out to them and just say, hey, I'm available for more work. If you have any clients that have photography or videography needs, please um, let refer me to them. I'd love to work with them. And so sometimes they like they'll get a, they'll get a referral cut. So it's good for them and it doesn't cost me anything. It costs the company money. So that's fine with me. Um, and, uh, it just means you have this potentially big roster of clients. And since they've seen my work before, they know what I'm capable of. Like I was originally hired for their, the first client I was working for, for them, um, because they needed somebody who could do stop motion, which is something I, I used to do a ton of. I still love to do it. Just don't do it as much. Um, and so anyways, they ended up referring me for now photography, videography, lots of things. Do you have recommendations for people who have never done freelance work before and might want to start doing that and might just be intimidated by how to find clients? What are your thoughts on that? There is, so I think following people who, this is what they do for a living. So I follow several people who are kind of local to me too and feel like like I can DM them with questions and who are just a little more approachable. Um, and seeing kind of like a lot of them really share a lot of behind the scenes. And there's an Instagram account. It's either Weekend Creative or Weekend Creatives. I don't remember which. And they have a Patreon community that I actually did join and because they share a ton of valuable information about freelance photography and videography in particular. Um, they are doing it at a scale that's way beyond me, like ordering custom backdrops and custom props for specific, sh like really, really beyond. Um, but it's still helpful to see what they're doing and how um, they're doing it. And I think just, and honestly, just talking to people, like I am also in a Slack channel um, with a bunch of other food bloggers in it and we'll talk to each other all the time um, and because several of them do freelance as well. And so just talking to folks, um, I'm, it's the, the pitching is a funny thing. I like annoyingly, I have not gotten a ton of freelance work from pitching. It's mostly been through like referrals. Um, but you got to start with somebody to get that initial referral and to, you know, just 
just pitch yourself. And it's a careful balance too, because like, for example, if you are just starting out and you're preparing to send pitches, um, I used to get these pitches myself because I was in marketing for so many years and you want to be careful to, um, not say, Hey, I can tell you really need this work for me. Mm -hmm. AKA the photography you're posting on social media is terrible (laughs) (laughs) because then they're immediately going to get turned off, but more posing it as like, Hey, these are services that I offer. I love your brand because I am super familiar with these ingredients because I love to cook with them. Positioning it that way is, is the best way to go about it. (laughs) I'll go ahead, Jason. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I feel like saying, like, hey, I've noticed your photography's crap. I could help you with that. Probably isn't a good way to get in the door, right? Uh, I think one one thing that I used to approach it is, um, especially for, like, the recipe development and content creation, is, like, Gourmia didn't have any recipes on their website. You know, I went to, at that time, all the major kind of sous vide manufacturers, because that was my niche, and I looked at what type of content do they have and what does it look like, and they were one that had nothing, because they are a manufacturing company, they aren't a sous vide company. And so I reached out and it wasn't, you know, your content's bad. It was, I noticed that you don't currently have this type of information. I could do that and here's how it's going to serve your fans and your your users and make your equipment more valuable for them. Um, and so that's how I approached it. And I think you can do that pretty easily without knowing too many people if you have a, a more specific niche. But if you do need like some you know, referrals or you need some, like to build your resume, some like work with local people, like go to your farmer's market and find someone that's in your niche and be like, Hey, you know, I write about different ways to like cook rice of all the different rices in the world. I see you have some cool rice. Like, could we do a partnership that, you know, you give me some free product. I'm going to write up some recipes for you and then you can use them as a referral. You know, we're hesitant a lot of times to do free work, which is, which is fine. And this whole conversation is around getting paid for, for work. But if you're, um, uh, the thing is Doug Levy told me that you always have to get paid for what you're doing, but Payment doesn't have to be cash. So if you decide, I want to do consulting and I want to give this a shot, to do that, I need a resume. So I'm going to you know, work with this brand to get something on my resume. Like you're getting paid for the work that you're doing and it's going to be moving your blog forward. So that's one thing that you can do to start getting your foot in the door at some of these places and doing work that, especially if you're like, hey, give me like four bags of rice and I'll give you a few recipes. Like most of the brands, if you are face to face at the farmer's market are going to be saying yes to that because they're getting something out of it too. And you like, that's, that's such a great point. You know, I doing free work is, is a careful, it's it's something you gotta be careful with. But like last summer I volunteered um, as part of this larger organization to do some pro bono food photography for restaurants in my area that were just smaller and needed a little bit of help. And that totally turned into referrals to me. It was awesome. Um, so yeah, it's, it's totally worth it to do that. I love that idea too, of like donating your time to like charities or organizations like that. Like if you do really healthy, simple meals, like are there places that serve like, like food banks or that serve, um, disadvantaged people that, you know, don't have great kitchens and, only have access to simple ingredients, but still want to, you know, eat healthy. Is that the type of organization that you could work with and be like, Hey, I'll give you like four or five recipes that you can share with your members. And then you can now use them hopefully also for referrals, but also to get it on your resume and the like as seen in. I have a question for you, Chelsea or Janine, you could chime in too. I know you both have backgrounds in marketing. 
But I know that food bloggers approaching restaurants is kind of becoming more of a trendy thing because a lot of restaurants, as you guys know, have like those really crappy just pictures. If they're not chain restaurants, especially like Mexican restaurants or or local restaurants, they're not necessarily really mouthwatering. So what is a good way to word that instead of saying, like you were saying, Chelsea, don't say this, don't say, wow, I noticed you have really crappy photos. What would be a good way to say, like, I could really give your photos a facelift or something along those lines? So I love this. So first of all, one of my um, really one of my closest friends, she's amazing. Uh, she uh, helps me with like the cookbook lab and stuff like that. Um, she got started doing restaurant photography. Um, so we both worked for this company. It's a small chain of Italian restaurants. And she has done their food photography for, I don't know, 10 years now, a long time. Um, my first warning to you is going to be if there is a business model that truly has a limited budget, it is restaurants. Um, so if there's not going to be a ton of money in it unless they are a chain or a small chain. Those those businesses have a little more money to play with. But just like individual businesses do not have a ton of money. So just a warning there. Um, but then the way I would frame it. So the program that she was on, that was awesome. And like, this is a win-win for everybody is she would do, um, a quarterly set of photos. So these, this restaurant and other restaurants that she worked with would want fresh assets, both if they had seasonal specials, new assets for social media, for their website that had the seasonal look and feel that they were going for. So like fresh for summer, hearty for winter, you know, things like that. Um, so she just knew she was going to be getting that quarterly work and that restaurant knew that they were going to have fresh assets every quarter. Um, so that's a great way to do it. So instead of saying, Hey, your photos suck <laughs> saying, Hey, I know how hard it is to, um, keep on top of asset creation and photo creation, um, for your company. I'd love to work with you to provide something new for you every three months or so. Um, let me know how we can talk about this or something like that, because that's super enticing. And they know they or they should. <laughs> they usually know that they need good photos or better, better photos. So that doesn't need to be said. <laughs> no need to rub that in their faces. No, I love that idea. Um, you could also I was just thinking as you were talking uh, focus on the seasonal foods and then make it like, okay, if they have some dishes that have, I don't know, peaches, for example, you could make use of peach season and, you know, kind of offer it that way. Like it is peach season. Do you want some fresh photos with peaches? Because now is the time and kind of putting a deadline on it that way. I never thought about that before, but love that too. Janine, do you have anything to add? I know you have marketing knowledge too. Yeah, no, what Chelsea said is was absolutely brilliant. And I think that is really a great way to go about it. Um, I think as long as you really position it as something they can benefit from, it's it becomes less about how you can come in and save the day, right? And it becomes more about where we're taking this restaurant or just this business in general and making them the hero you know, with, with their menu. So we're, we're focusing on that piece of it. So I think as long as you frame it to how it can benefit them, because at the end of the day, that's, that's really all they care about, right? Like, how's this going to benefit me? <laughs> um, and so I think that really is a really great way to go about it because it's a win-win. It's a, it's a win-win for you as a blogger going in and also building up your portfolio. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're still finding a way to, to, uh, 
you know, to monetize off of that, you know, client that may not have the budget of the larger chains. Um, and you're also helping this small, a lot of times they are mom and pop shops or whatever who don't have the budget to hire, you know, like a full on photographer. Um, but I do love that, um, that, that way to go about that. So I actually may take a page out of your book or your friend's book, Chelsea. That's a great, great way. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was awesome too. Taryn, hey, how's it going today? What's going on with you on this Friday? Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I was just, I wanted to comment because um, I, um, the last like 10 minutes of of a discussion, um, which I think has been really great. And I'm so glad um, we're having this discussion. But um, one thing I wanted to touch on that kind of leans into all this, and Jason, I think you were kind of um, talking about this is um, when I started doing work um, for brands, um, like contract work, like Chelsea was talking about, I um, got my own portfolio site. And I think that really made a difference. And it's just, I mean, it's super basic. It's like, it's a Squarespace site with like three pages on it. One of which is like a gallery of images. One of which is an about page. Maybe it only has two pages. It might be a home page on there. Um, but I think that made a really big difference in um, showing brands and just other clients that I was a serious photographer and not just having my um, blog as my portfolio. Um, and that that just really I would I would really recommend anyone who's serious about doing client work um, in that regard to do that. And it's not very expensive at all. And I do go back and update it um, every once in a while. And I want to say, I don't know if it's Christina Peters or if it's Rachel um, Kornick with Tulip Studio. I think it might be Rachel um, has a blog post about developing a portfolio site that um, is appealing to clients. So that's something to check out. Um, and I also just wanted to say that I a hundred percent agree with Chelsea, um, about restaurants because I I've done I, a while ago, I, before COVID, <laughs> I was trying to break into restaurant work. And what I did is looked for local restaurants, um, and offered a really small package essentially for free, um, just to get just to build on my portfolio. Um, and that did work for a while. I did, I did a couple, um, restaurants for free, just some really, um, like, I don't know, it was like one or two hours, like, you know, four dishes, maybe something along those lines. Um, and I did start to kind of break into restaurants, but it's a lot of work. And I found the same thing that Chelsea found where, um, the budget is really, really, tight. Um, and it, it just, I ended up stopping because it was, it was a really difficult for me, um, to make money off of. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. The portfolio site, Taryn is so intriguing. And I guess I've heard a few bloggers talk about doing that, but I just, I've never given it thought for myself, but this really could benefit you no matter what, like if you're looking for restaurant work or, just um, general brand work or even magazine. Like if you're looking to work with a magazine, this really could work all around. And how, how often do you update it? Do you have like, um, I'm, what is it? I want to look. 
Um, you're funny, Megan. Uh, it's just my name. It's just www.terrensoli, S-O-L-I-E.com. Um, so anyone can, is free to look at it. Um, and I try to update it. I try to update it every six months. I'm not always great about it. It might be more like once a year. Um, and I know, I think it was um, Julie, I think just messaged me asking for the link to the site um, about how to put together a portfolio site. So I'll try and find that. I want to say it's Rachel who did that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I. it really was not that hard to put together. And um, I feel like it's, I don't know. It just, it's just so much more professional. Um, and I felt more confident giving pitches to people having that portfolio site, which I think can be a big deal. I think it's also a good way when you're doing a pitch is that it's, you're the one pitching, you know, it doesn't matter what your traffic on your blog is, or your Instagram numbers, like you're pitching your services as a business. So I think making that clear by having a separate portfolio site is a, is a great call turn. I am looking at it now. Oh my gosh, Taryn. I mean, I've always known you've taken great photography, but just seeing it in kind of a um, a collection like this, like a gallery collection is so beautiful. And there's so much value here because you really can't, I mean, you could put this together on your blog, but I think it makes more sense to just have a separate URL. And Squarespace is the perfect place to do this, by the way, because their templates are so beautiful. They're not, it's not like probably the place to go if you're looking to get the most SEO SEO value out of your food blog. But as far as like beauty and displaying beautiful photos, it is a great option for that. So I just wanted to say nice work. This looks amazing. Thank you. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were talking about, okay, shoot, what else were we, you were talking about? Um, restaurants and getting into restaurants and I'm sorry to hear that yeah you kind of ran into roadblocks and not really making money so what are your guys' thoughts Chelsea maybe you have some thoughts on this but if you do want to make money photographing for restaurants like you do you go with the big chains or maybe a chain that's not quite as large or what route do you go yeah and for like and the only reason I can speak to this is because I worked in restaurants for, oh gosh, a long time, <laughs> like uh, seven years or so. I was a manager for a long time and then became the marketing manager um, for a small restaurant chain. Um, and yeah, they like the, pro like, I know that we talk about this a lot in the food blogging world, how it's kind of unacceptable when brands say they don't have a budget. When it comes to restaurants, their profit margins are so small. And they, so they true, like part of the reason their photos suck is because they truly don't have a budget to outsource it. Um, so I think that probably the safest route, like if it were, if it were me, I would go with smaller chains. So for example, um, like this, this restaurant that I worked for, they had eight restaurants throughout Oregon. Um, we've got another, um, if anybody's been to like Oregon, Washington area, there's, um, McMinimins, which I don't know, they probably have like 30 restaurants or something like that. Um, so I would probably stick in that range because anything that's like an olive garden or something like that is going to be working with massive studios. Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe you'd have a shot there, but I, w I would think something that's more mid-range where they have like between six and 50 locations is a really great place to start and they're going to have more of a budget to work with. Awesome information. I love that. That's so smart. Yeah, because they do work. Those big chains probably have everything established, right? Like they've they've got their process down, they've got their people and... 
they probably don't need us, <laughs> unfortunately. Oh my goodness, what a great discussion. Um, we've got maybe 10 minutes left. I do have to leave like maybe one or two minutes early. But I was going to ask you guys, what, like, how do you deal with um, criticism? I think I've gotten really, really good at this. My skin has gotten so thick over the years, like comments do not bother me anymore. They just get deleted or left if they're really funny. Um, But I just recently got a note from a person who bought my cookbook and she just like tore it to pieces and was like, I've made eight of your recipes and they've all failed. And I'm like, really? That, huh? That is just bizarre. Like what, how do you guys deal with stuff like that? Do you just kind of ignore it? Um, Do you try to like figure it out? Like what's going on? Why is it failing? What are your thoughts? Anyone? Okay. So I've, I also, I do not have very thin, thick skin <laughs> and, it, and largely even just like if somebody else is in distress and I'm somehow responsible, whether that's like they're criticizing me or like, for example, I do property management for my dad. If a tenant needs something, it like totally derails me, which is something I need to work on. Um, but I've been, so one thing I've started doing and I found it to be super effective, um, is killing them with kindness. Um, so for example, I, I have the cookbook lab, um, which is a course that teaches people how to self-publish. And I had somebody email me like, uh, it was something like I've never self-published before. It was, it was this really broad question. That's like pretty much the entirety of my course. (laughs) And so I was like, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assuming they're asking this really specific question. So I answered her question that way. And she emailed me back and like ripped me apart and told me how unhelpful I was and how condescending. And apparently she thought I was being condescending and like, anyway, all this stuff. And I just emailed her back and I'm like, I'm so sorry you took it that way. I misunderstood your question. This is what I thought you, and so I like tried to, and anyways, and she ended up responding and being like, I think I might've re- overreacted. Um, and it was, it was really interesting. And I've had, I've done that a few times lately and had really good results every time. I think people forget that there's a human on the other end. <laughs> and so reminding of them of that by like, I don't know, really trying earnestly to solve their problem or be overly kind is, has been effective for me. And then relatedly, I had, um, I'm a foodie digital client. They're amazing. You can Google them. They help me with like site management and stuff like that. And one thing we talked about yesterday was, and my call with them was, um, what they're, what they call community management. So for example, I got a comment on a blog post recently and I was conflicted about whether or not to approve it because, um, so Jason will understand this. It was a recipe for sous vide hollandaise. And they were telling me my temperature was way too hot to be cooking in jars. Like that's something we do with sous vide cooking at 167. And their jar broke because it was too hot. And I'm like, I cook egg bites at 185 in jars all the time. That was not your issue. You're, anyways. And so I, I wanted to approve the comment to help solve the problem. But I also didn't want to take that one star hit because that was their issue, not mine. (laughs) Um, And one thing Foodie Digital told me, and I think this is interesting food for thought, and I'm not sure if everybody will agree with this. Apparently you can approve the comment, but delete the star rating. So it doesn't impact your star rating for the overall recipe. And she's like, if you think that there's a learning opportunity in there that your community can learn from, do that because then you're not taking the hit for their mistake, but you're still getting an opportunity to respond to them. Like, and I think, you know, there's, like I said, there's some things to think about with that, but I just thought that was interesting. Well, I love that concept too of like 
replying to it. And I would say one thing that I found is like, don't stress about like one star reviews. Like I've had a ton of one star reviews. Like I have 15, you know, books out. Um, no one is, there's people that aren't happy with each one of my books, but some of them are like ridiculous. And like the example I always use is I got a one star review because my sous vide cookbook didn't, or my modernist cooking cookbook didn't uh, sufficiently explain how to make uh, chocolate pudding in the microwave. I don't know why they thought it would. I've never cooked pudding in the microwave. Like I've never mentioned it. Like it was just came out of the blue that I didn't do this, but I, it, it started to become the top, you know, when people looked at my book, they're like, okay, four and a half stars. What do you do sometimes? Wonder what the negative reviews are. And the top negative review was just completely asinine. And so to me, that actually helped justify people buying my book. And I think it helped my sales because they're like, if this is the worst that people can come up with about what's wrong with the book, then it's probably a pretty good book. Okay, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> Putting in the microwave, that's super funny. Um, my worst review, can I just share this on Amazon for my cookbook, was that eight, I believe it's eight of the cookies in the cookbook contain alcohol and this person does not drink alcohol. So they, like, they slammed me for that. So I'm like, really? You're a monster. <laughs> I know, monster. I know. It's I'm just terrible. Um, Julie, I want to give you a chance to speak. What's going on with you? Nice to see you, by the way. Good to see you too. Um, I... You are such a monster because you put out <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I agree with Chelsea about killing them with kindness, even if you're having to grit your teeth while you're writing that email. Um, and I always try to tell them, have a nice day, you know, even if they aren't going to respond and say, oh, maybe I overreacted. I love that that person did that to you, Chelsea. I, you know, my tip for you, Megan, is to maybe... I would email her back and ask her for specifics because a lot of times they will say, well, this didn't work. This didn't work. I mean, I had, I'll share one instance. I had um, this cupcake recipe that it just happened to be that like literally 50 people had these cupcakes. I made them over the course of uh, before even posting them. I made them like three or four times, like and double batched them a couple of times. They went into my husband's work. They went into my work. So many people had these cupcakes. And this person, and, you know, she doesn't know this, has the nerve to tell me that these cupcakes are disgusting. And I'm like, well, literally 50 people had them and they loved them. You know what I mean? And, like, you always can tell. You know, you can read the room. If people don't finish the cupcake, if people don't finish the food, if they clean the whole plate, you know it's really good. You know what I mean? Like, people can say, oh, these are really good, but they don't really feel that way. But you're watching everyone eat them up, you know. And she was like, they are disgusting. They taste like egg. And I'm thinking, okay, so she must have had a problem with one of her ingredients. So when someone really, like, really tries to fillet me or, like, diss it, but it likely is a problem with their ingredients or they did something wrong, I will, like, email them or even leave a comment. Like Chelsea was saying, you can use it as a learning experience for everybody else, a teaching experience. But I will ask them, like, okay, so what specifically happened? Can you give me the specific details? Like, what did you do? And, like... We'll go back and forth in emails. And if they're not willing to do it, they're not willing to do it. But I'm willing to go to figure out what's wrong. And I have gone back into the kitchen and done it where I will rebake and do things and not found a problem because, and for mo the most part, I feel solid in my recipes because I've tested them. So before they even go up, they're tested. So if there's a problem 
And I really do believe that there, there's a problem or maybe there's something that's not completely clear with the instructions. I'll bring it back to the kitchen and I'll retest it. But I really try to like, and in some instances, it's like five or six emails back and forth with them to try to figure out what the problem is. Because I totally understand. And even now in the, in the climate we have, and even like a few years back when people were doing a lot of couponing, and I think people are back to that. And really budgeting because a lot of people's budgets are squeezed when they have a recipe that doesn't work. It is so frustrating because they're mm. probably trying to make dinner or something. So I get it. But then I'm just like, hey, like you said, there's another person on the other side of the screen. I firmly believe in treating people nicely and professionally because you're going to get more that way. But I also understand, you know what I mean? They're like just so mad. But then sometimes I don't know, like, I don't know if I really believe that they made, like, eight recipes. Like, you know, like, if supposedly two or three didn't work, you would think they would give up after that. So I would try <laughs> to get her to give you specifics, like, really try to give you specifics, like, and really be like, okay, so you mentioned this one recipe, um, what was it? And, like, try to get her to, to give you specifics, because she might end up helping you in the long run. Maybe it's really only one recipe that she made, but she said eight. People like to fib. So one eight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, okay. First of all, Chelsea, kill with kindness. I am like the queen of doing that. I'm so good at it now. I'm like, I am so sorry. You must have had such a rough time. Like I am, I'm the best. And you're right. It does work. It disarms people totally use it all the time. So that's what I did with this woman. I just was like, I am so sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry you wasted ingredients for eight recipe. Like, yeah, wouldn't you maybe stop after three? Um, But I did try to ask. I asked like, are you at a high altitude? Are your leavening agents fresh? And we kind of cleared that all up. Yes, yes, yes. Everything's good. I'm not at a high altitude. So after a few back and forth, I was like, you know, this is kind of a waste of my time. I mean, clearly nothing is like glaring wrong. So I just kind of like put a heart on her thing and I had to leave it because I don't know, like the learning opportunity was gone. I I killed her with kindness. I said I was really sorry about those eight cookie recipes. And I just kind of feel like I have to let that go. But yeah, I appreciate all of this. What a great conversation, you guys. Um, Well, it's time to go. Sadly, now other people are joining the room, but hopefully you guys will join us next Friday and we can have some more fun food blogging conversations. Thank you, guys. This was super fun. Such great information today. So have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.